Well, I hope everybody had a great 4th of July yesterday, and I wonder if anybody, (laughs) as you were maybe eating a hot dog yesterday, thought about eating, I don't know if you had one or two, if you thought about eating 74 or 75 more. Did y'all hear that guy, Joey Chestnut, ate 75 hot dogs in 10 minutes yesterday? (laughs) Broke the world record. (laughs) Anyway, everybody's got their deal, right? You know, and we were we were uh, needing some sports on the Fourth of July, and that was that's pretty bad when you have to watch a hot dog eating contest to watch sports. But you do what you got to do. Well, yesterday, obviously, we celebrated, and we continue to celebrate today, and really through the weekend, uh, two hundred and forty-four years of independence for the United States. And uh, independence from a form of government that was deemed at the time oppressive and unrepresentative of those living in the 13 colonies at the time. And this rejection of one form of government to establish another form of government was a critical part of our history of establishing what we now know as the United States of America. And... uh, On June 7, 1776, in a session in the Pennsylvania State House that would later be named Independence Hall, Richard Henry Lee of Virginia presented this resolution with these famous words. Resolved that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, for they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. Now this statement would be followed up later, as we know, with a much longer document and uh, written to express in detail uh, Richard Henry Lee's, that original resolution. So as we know, on July 4th, 1776, after much thought... After much prayer, after much deliberation, a group of representatives from the 13 colonies in North America came together to present a declaration of independence from Great Britain. And I'm just going to read a little bit of that, which is probably very familiar to you. It says, When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another... And to assume among the powers of earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the cause of which impel them to the separation. This is the part you probably remember. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. That, whatever, that whenever in any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Y'all remember that? It's important. It's a part of who we are in this country. And that news or declaration was shocking 
to many in the world at the time, if you think about it, and not surprising to others. Great Britain reacted as one might expect them to, not accepting this rejection without a fight. King George was not ready to give up his power nor his, or to give freedom to these in the colonies. And as we say, the rest is history, right? And that's why we celebrate on July 4th. If you're an American citizen today, that is a part of your history. If you're not an American citizen or a citizen of another place, you know what? You have a history too. A history, all, all people from all over the world, they have a history. And most all of those histories involve some sort of independence from some kind of a slavery or oppression in some part of their history. And it probably includes some form of rejecting some sort of a government to usher in another form of government with the hope of bringing freedom and independence. And freedom and independence has been something that all people, all humans have longed for throughout history. In the process of gaining that freedom and independence, there is always, always a heavy cost involved. And many who enjoy those freedoms and that independence do not realize the heavy cost that was paid. And because of that, many want to reject, many want to criticize those who are a part of gaining that freedom and some of the ways and means that that freedom was obtained. And we hear that a little bit today and we have throughout history. But others who look at celebrations of freedoms where they were not and are still kept from some of those freedoms, you know what? They have a problem celebrating. But I am one who is unashamedly grateful and thankful for those who sacrifice to give myself, my family, and others those freedoms. And I realize I've been blessed to have been born in the United States of America. I didn't choose that. I simply was, by the grace of God, born in the United States of America. Well, today I want us to look at a text where Jesus was talking to a group of people about this very thing, freedom, deliverance from oppression. And that freedom and oppression they longed for uh, was actually among them simply by Jesus being in their presence. And this declara declaration was made by Jesus towards the beginning of his three-year ministry. Um, but what we will see happen here is a crisis of rejection of Jesus himself, of the actual one who was bringing them freedom and independence from sin. It was a declaration of freedom, but actually revealing that he was literally bringing that freedom, bringing that healing that they most needed for all people. So we're going to look at a text from Luke today, which accounts what's happened in Jesus following this declaration that Jesus makes. I want to give you a little background of the Gospel of Luke. Luke tells us that after Jesus' baptism, after he went into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights and was tempted by the devil, that he was traveling around Galilee and he was preaching, doing what God had called him to do. This was his mission. And during that time, Luke says, everyone praised Jesus. And so Jesus decides to come home to his hometown where he had been brought up for 30 years in Nazareth and go to the synagogue there where he had worshipped many times and to teach. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 4 verses 16 through 30. I believe that's going to be up on the screen for us. There it is. Thank you. And listen, you can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. 
So listen to what Dr. Luke tells us. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but a widow, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. This may be familiar to you, but Jesus makes this declaration that at first seems to go well with everybody, but something he said and what he spoke that day. And Luke gives us just a part of what Jesus said. Obviously, he can't tell us everything. He didn't record everything that Jesus said that day. But whatever Jesus said at some point infuriated his people. And I want us to kind of unpack that a little bit. So Luke gives us an account uh, an idea of how the worship service looked in the synagogues in those days. And it's similar. We kind of practice some of the same kind of things in our own worship service here. But there was probably a local rabbi or leader who would read from the first five books um, of the Bible. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They would read that. And uh, after that, Jesus probably stood up as a sign that he was a rabbi that maybe was visiting, and he was visiting his home. And as he stood up, it says, hey, I want a part to preside in the service today. And it was customary for visiting rabbis to be given an opportunity to be a part of worship in the synagogue on that day. And since Jesus was coming home after all this news of his teaching and his miracles that he's been talking in all the region, it's kind of a buzz about who Jesus is and what he's doing. The people there were anxious to hear what all this buzz was about. So Luke tells us he was handed the scroll of Isaiah, specifically from chapter 61. And he probably read the text in the original Hebrew in which it was written, and then possibly also translated into Aramaic, which most of the common people spoke in that day. And he rolled the text back up, he gave it to the attendant, and then he sat down. And so 
It was customary to stand up to read the Word of God and then to sit down to teach. Like when we hear Jesus talk about the Sermon on the Mount, he sat down on the mountain and began to teach. So the same kind of thing went on in the synagogue. And Luke tells us that all the eyes of everyone there that day were fastened on him. That's a great word, isn't it? Fastened on him. Like, what next? We want to hear what you have to say. And when Jesus declared today... This scripture that I've just read is fulfilled in your hearing today. There must have been a lot of different reactions to that. What does he mean by that? What is he saying? It says, Luke says, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. That didn't seem to get them too um, mad. So at first, they don't seem that they're offended by him declaring that he is the one that's going to fulfill all that. Maybe they don't quite understand. But then someone asked, isn't this Joseph's son? And something in the way they asked that must have triggered something in Jesus as well. Because Jesus, we know, could know people's thoughts. We read that in a lot of the Gospels, that Jesus knew their thoughts. Do you wish you had that? That would be nice, wouldn't it? Or maybe not. (laughs) Some of y'all are shaking your head. But Jesus must have known something in the way they said that. And Jesus seems to react to this. There doesn't seem to be any hostility, but he seems to want to react to this. He certainly seems to sense that something in that question in their thoughts is bothering them. So Luke says nothing about Jesus being angry, and we see no punctuation with exclamation points in his quotes, except that quoting the proverb that would imply Jesus might not have been happy with the way they're reacting. Jesus simply states that no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Then he goes on to give reference to Elijah and Elisha, who they would all know and understand the stories, the narratives behind that. And he also says something about seeking out Gentiles rather than Jewish people to heal. And this seems to be what gets them fired up. Everyone in the synagogue was furious. Now, how did they all go from speaking well of Jesus to being furious? How did they all go being amazed at his words to being mad and wanting to kick him out of the synagogue and out of their town? What was it that set them off? He simply referred to two Old Testament prophets and miracles that they performed for a widow and a Syrian. Why would that bother them? Well, maybe the key is understanding what Jesus said in both cases. There were many widows in Israel during that famine. If you remember the story of Elijah, it was three and a half years and there was this famine. And so there was a lot of people who were hungry. A lot of people that were, um, you know, uh, having these problems because of the famine and the drought that was in the problem. But yet God sent the prophet of Israel to a Gentile to help. To a Gentile to heal, to bring freedom to instead of one from the chosen nation of Israel. What did that mean and why did that cause folks to become so furious with Jesus? Well, one thing we know, one commentator says this. One thing a Jew was and that was he was a complete national. In fact, in their writings of this time, the Jews taught that Gentiles were only created for fuel for hell. And they did not believe that a Gentile could be saved. Now, it may be hard for us to process that, but that was that kind of hatred and look towards anybody that was not a Jew. We are sons of Abraham, and they had this strong nationalistic nationalistic feeling, feeling that salvation was only for them and those who looked like them, believed like them, 
and thought like them. Everyone else was excluded. So that when Jesus begins to point out a few things in their history, it really upsets them. What was it in Jesus' historical reference that upsets them? It seems that at first they are really recognizing Jesus' declaration of the Messiah. Or rather they hear him but they want some sort of a demonstration of his power. We've heard what you've done in all these other surrounding areas. If you say you're the Messiah, if you are the one that's fulfilling the scripture you just read, we need to see something because you're just that son of Joseph, that carpenter. How could you be the Messiah? Well, this is when Jesus refers to the Old Testament accounts. He is saying that the attitudes and the actions of those people long ago towards God towards what was going on, are now going on here in Nazareth. That same skepticism and doubt what the prophets had declared is going on right here and now in Nazareth. That resulted in the prophets going to the Gentiles, anyone who was not Jewish, for deliverance, to demonstrate God, God's power and deliverance because y'all refused to believe. So the Jews in this synagogue in Nazareth make the connection between those people and their unbelief and their skepticism and them, and they're not happy about it, which implies God will bypass their skeptical attitudes, their demands for a sign, and he will go to the Gentiles who are ready to accept this good news and freedom, and they don't like that at all. What infuriates them is if you could go back to that passage um, in chapter 61 and say, he's proclaiming good news for the poor Gentiles, he is proclaiming freedom for the Gentile prisoners. He is sending recovery of sight for the blind Gentiles. He's setting free the oppressed Gentiles, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor to the Gentiles. No, that's supposed to be for us. What do you mean, Jesus? We are the ones who need the Messiah, the promised Savior, not them. How dare you say these Gentiles will be included in God's promises for the chosen people of Israel who do you think you are, Jesus? What kind of intense nationalism may seem? That may seem extreme to us and limited to that time and place. But unfortunately, that kind of attitude that God only saves certain folks, certain people, or only brings good news and freedom, and and freedom from oppression for certain people, it's still alive today, isn't it? We still see that sometimes in our own nation, sometimes in our own world. So what would Jesus say today to us if he were our guest rabbi for the day? If, we, if I were to sit down and say, Jesus, would you please come up and speak to what's happening in our culture today? What would Jesus say about all this that's going on? Well, I hope he would think like I think. I hope he would say what I've been saying or typing out or posting. But what would Jesus say to us? How long would it take before one of us would be outraged and want to say, uh, we need to get you, ask you to leave the stage, Jesus. <laughs> we need to ask you to leave our church, Jesus, because that's not the way we think. That's not the way we feel. How long would it be before we would ask Jesus, you've gone too far? And you say, oh, we would never do that, wouldn't we? As sad as it is, we sometimes act like because God has blessed the United States of America that we are his chosen people. And we can turn a blind eye to his great truths and his great commission to go into all the world and bring the good news. 
But the good news is that we have this account to remind us of who Jesus is and, 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 who, that, and who we're supposed to be in him. Our identity is not in our, where we were born. Yes, that's an important part of who we are, but our identity ultimately is in Jesus Christ. We are called to take the good news and the message of freedom from oppression to all people. All people of the world, even to those who oppose us, those who hate us, who think differently than we do, those who hurt us and consider us enemies, they still have right to that good news. And it's fitting today that we celebrate the U.S. Declaration of Independence from Great Britain 244 years ago. But the ideals that that document um, presented to us as we read this morning, they've not always been carried out. But we need to remember that there's ideals in things that we wrote. Those men that wrote that document were not perfect, were they? But the ideals they were trying to promote for our country were something that we always have had struggled with a little bit. When we think about, there were times that we have acted and even now act and certainly did not show that all people were created equal. In the American churches, in our nation sometimes we have promoted ideas and acted as if, yeah, that's in our Constitution, but we haven't really acted like that. And we certainly have not always treated people that they have certain unalienable rights. But we've moved on from that. We've tried to right those wrongs. But it's important that more than any other time, while we celebrate our independence, realize that independence is for all. Those are really rights for everybody, not just something that's in a document. And we would do well to examine our attitude always, always, to the proclaimed truth of our founding documents. As much as I don't understand about what's going on, as much as I don't understand how it is to have that oppression, I know that oppression is real as I read our history. As great as our history is, and I think there's much more good in our history than bad. And a lot of that bad's being focused on right now, but there's much more good on how the United States has been a part of bringing good to the world. But we always have to examine ourselves, don't we? And our founding documents. But even more than that, the truth of God's word. Every time we hear it, am I following that? That's why we're assembled here today, y'all. Because we need to be reminded, we need to be held accountable, that we need to constantly be looking at our lives and comparing that to what God's Word says. It's okay to be thankful and grateful for our nation of birth and our residence, but we must never forget that God brought salvation to all people, to all nations through His life, death, and resurrection. And that healing and freedom needs to be declared to all, and it's ultimately from sin. And that's why we, we celebrated just a minute ago the greatest freedom today and every Sunday by taking communion. Our, our real freedom is not from somebody that's oppressing us, but from our own sin, isn't it? Satan is the one who truly oppresses us and tries to, to get us away from God. And so when we take communion, we declare through Jesus Christ our forgiveness from sin, from that oppression, from that which really enslaves us, and it restores us to God our Father in freedom that we really need. So this morning, maybe you need to recognize and declare the freedom and salvation that is yours from Jesus Christ. And so we want to offer that opportunity this morning as we always do. There may be somebody here today that needs to, to recognize that.
And I'm, as I'm looking around, I'm saying most of y'all have already grasped that for yourselves. But more than any other time, we need to be thankful for that, grateful for that, and pray for our nation that we will not just have these ideal things written on paper or in, our, in God's Word, but that we will constantly be holding ourselves accountable to how we're following that. And that's why the church is so important in being a part of it. So we're going to be, uh, be led in a song, and if you have a decision to make this morning, we ask that you come forward at this time.